Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Stone and Tile Show. I am your host, Fred Houston, and it is another lovely Wednesday night, and today we are going to have a very important show. Uh, If you've ever bought in slabs, even if you're a consumer that's uh, looking to buy granite or marble or whatever, uh, the show coming up here is going to be very important. I'm going to be interviewing uh, a friend of mine, Keith Graves. We want to get him on the phone here in a second, and we're going to talk about um, buying stone under false pretenses, some of the lies that are told, some of the things that are changing in the industry that you need to to be aware of whether you're uh, wholesaling, whether you're buying uh, a fabricator, buying stone from a distributor especially, or even if you're a consumer buying stone. So let me introduce Keith, and I'll get you on here in a second. Keith, let me go ahead and uh, give a little bit of your bio. Keith and I go back quite, quite a ways. Uh, actually, he started in the fabrication business back in 1983 while he was attending college. He wrote the first article in uh, 1993. He actually wrote a manual for fabricators in 19, uh, I believe it was 93, and, and uh, started teaching seminars with me back in around 1996. So that was got almost 23 years ago. Uh, Keith's quite a quite a book of knowledge when it comes to uh, stone fabrication, stone distributing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, he's done lots of seminars. You may have seen him at coverings and Stone Expo, seen some of his books, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to get him on the on the horn here right now, and uh, let, me get, let me see if we can get him in there. Keith, are you there? Hello. I'm hey, here. Keith, how you doing, buddy? I, I'm doing well. How are you? Well, we're doing just wonderful here. It's nice and cool here in Florida. I think we got down to 60 degrees today. So, <laughs> I know I know you're up in the northeast, and it's a little bit chillier up there, but, uh, hey, you know, that's okay. I'm actually headed headed to Boston next week for a day, so I'm sure I'll be cold as well. But anyway, I, I just introduced you. I was telling the folks about um, – uh, a little bit about your background, about your experience, and uh, I, I think this is going to be an enlightening show. And I, I guess I'll start out with, with with the first question, and that is if if I'm a fabricator and I'm going in and I'm buying a you know, buying buying stone, whether it's granite, whether it's marble, what what I mean, what are the type of things I have to be aware of? I mean, what are some of the, I guess to put it more blunt, bluntly, am I being lied to a lot of times when it comes to these materials? especially when it comes to quality, et cetera? Well, you know, as far as quality goes, a lot of quality is aesthetic. So in other words, if it looks nice, then it's considered first quality. Um, The things that are a little more difficult to see is if you've got, um, well, fissures would probably be one of the the easier things to to, uh, find. And, um, but, you know, they can also be easily missed until you get them cut or until you um, look at them a little more closely. Um, things like warping, gauging, you know, warping meaning that the cup is, is not, I'm, I'm sorry, that the slab is either cupped or not flat on a true plane. Gauging meaning right. that the thickness is not the same throughout the slab. Um, you know, there there are a lot of little things like that. Sometimes, um, you know, Slabs are, well, I would say a good majority of the slabs, 
that are being processed today are resin and things that you don't know is how well the resin will hold up if it's being used outside, you know, in a wet environment or UV, whether it's UV stable. Right. And, you know, um, a lot of the homeowners that look at slabs, um, they're qualified to tell you whether they're pretty or not, um, whether they like them. But then really the fabricator, actually the distributor and the fabricator really have to look at them closely and verify the quality because, you know, a lot of these issues that are out there are something that a fabricator or a, well, fabricator typically notices a little bit more than the distributor does because they get it, you know, they'll look at it closely during the layout and then they'll also look at it again in a different light, you know, when they lay it down on the saw to, to start to cut it up. Um, a lot of times you'll find weaknesses in slabs as they're being cut. You'll see, you know, some water coming up through, you know, that's a little bit, you'll either see water kind of bend down into a fissure or sometimes you'll see it come up through a fissure if it's a drier area of the slab. Yeah, Keith, what, I mean, you know, you and I started in this business a long time ago, so we've obviously seen a lot of changes in the in the industry, especially when it comes to, you know, let's say, for example, I, I can remember when I first started, you go into many of the stone slab yards out there, and you would see marble, 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 and today it seems to be more granite than marble, more varieties of granite. Uh, what are some of the things that, that a fabricator or even a, a homeowner should be looking for when it comes to n not just the quality that you talked about, but, you know, as far as you, you, performance. Well, let me, yeah, performance, and let me get more specific. Um, and what I mean by more specific, I, I see a lot of these materials that aren't granite per se, but they're being sold as granite. Yeah. And this same goes for marble. You know, a lot of the quartzites that are being sold are actually marbles and not quartzites. Some of them are granite. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yes. Um, actually, you know, a lot of the distributors and and the well. It all starts with the factories. Basically, they'll buy a block of a material, and it may be sold to them as a quartzite. But as they start to cut into it, they can, they'll they notice that they're cutting through the block a little quicker. And then when they start to polish it, they'll notice that it's a little softer, and it's not a true quartzite at that point. Um, and sometimes they will pass this... Um, the um, mislabeling along to the to the distributor. The distributor really doesn't do much except, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. <laughs> they do a lot, but uh, <laughs> right. they they don't do anything as far as um, changing the slab. So they don't know how hard it is or or you know exactly what the qualities are until a fabricator starts to cut it. And at that point, they you know they'll if they get samples, they can test the samples. Um, and there are a couple of articles out there now on, you know, identifying true quartzites. And I would suggest that anyone in the industry read that. Um, if you're not in the industry, just hook up with a really good fabricator, somebody that is looking out for your best entrance, uh, your best interest, and um, and they'll guide you properly. But, um, now, you know, some of the things. Go ahead. Okay, some of the things that they mention in the article is abrasion, uh, um, well, hardness. You can test it either with a with a piece of glass or a Mohs pick or something. 
Um, and I probably shouldn't have thrown out Mo's pick because um, that probably needs some explaining. Um, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> uh, Mo's is a scale from um, from 1 to 10, and it's used in the um, way well, I think it all started um, for the um, jewelry industry, you know, in gemstones. And basically um, 1 is a tout, 10 is a diamond. And quartz typically goes around, you know, eight. Is it seven or eight, Fred? It's seven. Quartz is a seven. Seven. Okay, seven. Okay, that's what I was thinking. All right, so if you took a number seven Mohs pick and tried to scratch a material that is sold as a quartzite um, and it scratches, then then typically um, you would say, well, this is – you know, this is a seven on the Mohs scale. You could go back to a six and try to scratch it. If it scratches, you say, no, more than likely this is going to be a, um, a marble or something softer. Um, that'll help exactly. you identify. The other thing is uh, typically harder marbles um, are going to be a little bit less reactive. So um, if you put a little vinegar or lemon juice or, or you know, a diluted acid, on it, you can, and I, I like using vinegar or lemon juice because these are assets that are present in, in the kitchen or a bar or anywhere right. where you're going to typically see the material. Um, and if it reacts, if you notice bubbling right away, then it's going to be a softer material. Um, if you leave it on there for, you know, I would say roughly 10, 15 minutes, you'll start to see a little etching even on the harder marbles. Um, the other thing that is recommended in one of the articles is that you can kind of scratch out a little bit of the material, and then at that point when you add the, the acid to it, it will react. You'll start to see more bubbling. Um, according to some of the geology um, sources, they say that a, a calcium magnesium carbonate or a dolomite is not going to be uh, reactive unless it's disturbed. But what right. I found is that if you leave the, the vinegar on it long enough, it'll you might not see the bubbling, but you will see the effect from it. Uh, absolutely. And that's just, you know, basic geology. Now, you know, as far as um, materials that are, and, and I, I'm not sure how to say this, but I, I've known fabricators out there that will go into a distributor and all of a sudden they'll be looking at a particular material and the distributor will say, well, you know what, uh, these materials are no longer available and, um, you know, they're either going to charge you more for them or we can't get them anymore. Can, can you talk a little bit about that, about availability of some of these materials? Well, that's one of the things that I was thinking about quite a bit because sometimes, you know, People will tell you, hey, this material, the quarry shut down, so you, you won't find it anymore. And there are a lot of block yards that will sell blocks to factories, and the factories will just not process them for one reason or another. So let's say, um, I don't know whether anybody remembers back in 2011, um, PRP in India being shut down, which is a big um, – granite quarry, uh, I'm sorry, granite factory in India. Um, basically, that was shut down. So for a long time, it was hard for anybody to find uh, cashmere white, Madura gold, materials like that that were very popular at the time. Um, but there were blocks available. But what happened is um, the people that bought it 
oh, and bought the materials or had some in their yards or in their warehouse, I should say, would say, hey, listen, um, cashmere white, they shut the quarry down. You're not going to find it anymore. So everybody was rushing to buy the material. And then later you were finding factories that have bought blocks that just hadn't processed them yet, and they were putting them out. So they would wait maybe a six months or a year for the demand to get really high. They would come out with the material and charge, you know, a little bit more. And, and you know, I, I understand supply and demand and the need to charge a little bit more. But sometimes you buy these um, materials that are no longer available and you stock up and then you find out that it was only a temporary thing. And that's, you know, that's when it causes a little bit more harm. But hopefully, you know, you're, you still have material, you can still sell it. You know, which brings me to another another point, another question, and that is the naming of some of these stones. It's funny you should mention cashmere white because I happen to know of uh, a, a cashmere white that exists in two different places, and they're quarried in two different locations, and they're similar looking. I mean, geologi- geo- geologically, they're a little bit different. Do you run into that where you get uh-huh. materials that are that are renamed or misnamed or whatever? Yeah, a, a lot of times if you know there are certain um there are certain factories or quarries that will trademark a name and in that case you don't you'll find that someone may say hey that's a popular material mine looks just like yours i'm going to call it the same thing and they'll do that for a little while until they find out hey listen the this name i can't use because i'm infringing on their trademark so um or you know whatever type of rights they have for that name um yeah, a lot of people will do that because there, there's a lot, you know, a new material to the market um, has to go through a long process of sampling and, you know, showing the material before it becomes more popular. And once it becomes more popular, then everybody that has a material that looks similar to it will come out and say, hey, I've got, you know, let's say Ubatuba, and it's really not Ubatuba. Exactly. Now, you know, what, what would, light. Right. What would what would someone ask for as far as I mean, I realize you have, you know, quarries from all over the world and you deal with different quarries all over the world and some of them are third world countries, some of them are very modern with very modern equipment. But, you know, what type of testing should I ask for or should I ask for any kind of testing? Testing data, I should say. Well, if you're doing a commercial project, I highly recommend getting an independent testing facility to you know, make sure that the material will perform properly because there are things that, um, you know, there are things that are going to, this material is going to be exposed to. And you're really not, you know, a lot of the larger factories are going to have um, general test data on the material and they do samplings. Um, Sometimes you'll find these core holes right in the middle of a slab um, hopefully they're more toward the edges, but on occasion they'll be, you know, toward the middle. And basically what they're doing with those um, with those sections that they extract is they're testing it. So, um, but, you know, there's a difference between generalized testing and specific testing, um, getting random samples throughout a, a specific lot and make sure that there's, you know, let's say you've got a lot of iron content and this is going to be, you know, exposed to sunlight and around a lot of, you know, moisture, then you're going to have oxidation. Um, and, you know, I've always said that if the oxidation occurs on a spot, people hate it. But if it occurs on a vein 
and it looks natural, then they're okay with it. Um, but, you know, if it goes in one color and then, you know, oxidizes and becomes gold, then it's going to be something that will more than likely cause a problem. Yeah, we run into and that all I the say time. With, people, yeah, we run into that all the time. I'm running into a lot of white Carraras right now that are being put in showers, but we won't get into that issue t- <laughs> today. It's a whole okay. other, yeah. other show. But I, I want to get a little bit more specific uh, with the different types of stone here in a second, uh, particularly one. But before I do, let me th- let me throw out the telephone number, the call-in number. If you have a question for Keith or I, uh, the call-in number is 323-870-3968. That's 323-870-3968. Or you can jot me or send me an email uh, at fhuston. That's F A. H-U-E-S-T-O-N at gmail.com. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go ahead and uh, message me, and we'll take a question that way as well. Okay, I'm going to talk about one or ask you about one particular stone that you and I know a, a lot about, but I kind of want your take on it from a, a, a distribution standpoint. In other words, I'm a fabricator. I come in. I have a customer that wants, you ready for this? Black absolute granite. <laughs> Now okay. I've talked about I've talked about dyes I've talked about dyes on the show before but we might want to rehash that again but uh, what type of cautions do we need when we're looking at black absolute? Well, you know the different qualities you know are based on aesthetics there as well. The darker, the blacker, the material, the the normally you get more for it. Um, so anybody that has something that's not as black will sometimes make it appear black, either with a black wax or a black dye of some sort. Um, The problem is that if the dye does not hold up, and usually they don't, um, then you'll start out with a, you know, a really black, black countertop, and then eventually over time it'll become more of a charcoal gray. Um, you know, this was something that was a really hot topic, um, I think, back in, like, the early 90s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it did, it did occur, actually, even before that a little bit. Yes, and it seems to happen still to this day, but oh, not quite I, as widespread as Yeah. I still run into it, but yeah, but I agree, not as widespread. So so what does a fabricator do? Let's say a fabricator goes to a distributor and they, you know, they 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 buy a series of slabs, black absolute slabs, they fabricate the kitchen and, you know, they, they have no issues, but they get a call from the customer, you know, a, a week, a month, three months later, and they have this problem. Is there any, is there any responsibility for the distributor or is that a fabricator issue? I mean, how do you handle a situation like that? Or how do you advise you handle a situation like that? Well, typically um, what I would advise is that the um, fabricator keep very accurate records very good records on what they're cutting for each job so let's say it's block number one two three four and it's lab number 12 you know that type of information will will go a long way because basically what the distributor will do is they'll go into their system and look up where that exact slab came from Um, normally if there's an issue it's not isolated Sometimes you'll be the first one to have the issue, but normally, you know, it'll happen for multiple slabs in that lot. On occasion, it's isolated, but um, if 
you know, most the the good thing about fabricators and distributors is that they deal with each other every all the time. Usually, every once in a while, um, a fabricator will say, "Hey, I need a material that I can't find in the local market," so they've got to go out of the market to find something. And at that case, I would suggest that they go look at it um, very thoroughly. Maybe get a couple of recommendations from some local fabricators on who to deal with or how these people, how this distributor is to deal with. And, um, you know, if you're dealing with a reputable company, they should at least stand behind you. Um, You know, sometimes I've heard of distributors that will, uh, well, I shouldn't say heard of it. I've seen it actually where distributors will stand behind a, a product and the factory won't. So the distributor's basically taking a loss because they know the fabricator is a you know is a good customer. And that's I almost a good said point. loyal, but that's yes. Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think that's a good point. You know, with you know, for your fabricators that are listening out there to just have a good relationship with a uh, with a distributor that you're dealing with, or several distributors that that you're dealing with. I, all right, I want to backtrack a little bit. I was going to ask you a question before when we were talking about quality, and this is something I've run into out in the field. You know, especially when I go into a a, a customer's house and you know, the, the fabricator is, you know, playing the, and please don't take this the wrong way, fabricators. I'm not saying all fabricators are bad <laughs> by any means, but but some of you are really good at the at the BS, and they say, well, you know, this is a, this is a grade two granite, or this is a grade five granite. I'm not aware of any grades of granite out there, or any, any, any system that, say, the Natural Stone Institute has, or anybody has. Are you aware of any grading system for granite out there, or is this something that the factories do? Um, normally factories will have like a select quality, a commercial quality, and sometimes they'll number them. But like you say, this is not something that is widespread or something that's, well, I'm sorry, I should say in our area, it's something that's not widespread or something that is, you know, known by everyone. So, I mean, I would try to stay away from things like that. Um, you know, even today, if you brought up like group A, B, C, D marble, um, there are a lot of people that really don't know what that means anymore, so it's probably better not to even bring it up. Exactly, and that's that's my that, that's my suggestion and my opinion is, uh, you know, we get that all the time, especially with the, the the grading system that you had mentioned with marble, and everybody claim, you know thinks that's a a quality grading system, and it's not. It's you know it was actually developed, you know, way back when the MIA first started as a soundness classification. Um, not a yeah. quality issue. So uh, I think some people try to do that with, with qualities of materials and, um, well, you know, that, how that goes. So, you know, some of the things, what are some of the things that, uh, well, actually, let me ask one other additional question I'm writing here in my notes as you're talking, and that is, um, you know, I talked about third world countries, and, you know, depending on how the material is quarried, uh, you know, there's there's saws, there's wire saws, but we do still have some quarries in the world that are using explosives. Uh, what type of issues does that create within a slab if they're you know, using explosives to uh, come out of the quarry, to take blocks out of the quarry? Well, um, typically after the uh, blocks are extracted using explosives, you have some weaknesses that are, that are sent into, you know, well, it depends on the material. If it's a very sound material, it doesn't, go in very far, but if it's a very decorative material, you know, sometimes it goes completely through the material, 
and it'll normally seek out like a vein or something. Um, basically, what happens is they take this block and they saw it like a loaf of bread into individual slabs. And most of the factories um, are going to resin the slabs. And basically, what they're doing is they're taking a thin glue and they're putting it on the slabs and letting it penetrate into the slab. And then they're running it through the polishing line. And then, you know, if it's a really decorative material, they may have to pull it off, inspect it, and re-resin some areas. Um, but what happens with those, uh, with, you know, blasting the, the blocks out is sometimes, you know, when it goes through the processing, you don't notice these fissures. And then as they're on the sides, we, you know, as we mentioned before, um, and they're cutting you know, sometimes they'll see where the water kind of goes into a fissure or they'll see where water comes out of a fissure in a dry area. So, you know, that's something that, um, you know, the person actually doing the cutting should look for. And if they see that, then, you know, try to use a different piece or do something at that point because you really haven't put a whole lot of um, labor in. Well, you have put some labor into it, but you haven't actually – routed the edges, done the sink cutout, polished the sink cutout, put the faucet holes in there, or anything too involved yet. So anytime there's going to be an issue like that, you try to catch it at its earliest point. And, of course, that earliest point is before it goes on the truck at the distributor. And then, you know, the the next one would be, of course, before it's unloaded and so forth. Right now, you know we mentioned dyes, and uh, you hit on the subject of, uh, you know, you got to be. Care and I'm dyes. I'm sorry, resins. Uh, you've got to be careful with some of these resins because they're they're very sensitive to UV light. They're very sensitive to moisture. Um, you know, we have a lot of fabricators putting them outdoors. But in addition to resins, have you ever have you seen or have have you are you seeing more of a trend of certain stones, particularly with the marbles coming in now, where they're actually being recolored or dyed a different color purposely? Have you run into that issue or that problem yet? Or I don't know if you call it a problem yet. Well. <laughs> It kind of comes and goes in fads. Um, you know, I've I've seen it. Actually, you and I saw it, um, I think, probably back in, like, 89 or 90 up in um, up in New Jersey, the first time we met. Um, right. It's, they had, like, a Luna Pearl-type tile, and they had it sectioned off, and, or the, and they dyed it blue. Uh, the dyes are getting better today, but... Um, you know, some of the dyes, if if they're left outside or if they're, um, you know, if they're left outside, they'll they'll kind of wash out. Um, no, you know, we we do see that on occasion. The biggest problem with something like that is hopefully the uh, factory tells the distributor, and the distributor will relay that message to the fabricator. Because what happens is that um, when the when the fabricator is cutting it, they'll notice that the face looks. Um, you know, one color, and the edge that they're working on looks different. So they're going to have to apply whatever tint or, or stain or dye to that edge in order to get it to match. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue. So what would you what would you say right now from from uh, you know the stone distribution sector is the is the number one problem out there that you see, or maybe there isn't a number one problem. Maybe there's several problems. What do you see well, as a big you know, issue? One right now? thing. One of my pet peeves is um, is calling something that it's not in order to make it sell. Um, you know, if something is not going to be suitable for a countertop, 
And, and you know, the whole thing about suitability is all, um, I guess, depending on who's who define. I mean, how it's defined as suitable. There are people that have, you know, um, marble countertops today and just want to do a different marble, and those people are going to be okay with the scratching and the etching and so forth, or they're probably going to handle it a little bit better so that the scratching is not going to be as intense, or they're going to say, hey, listen, I'm used to that, so, I, you know, I'm okay with the way it looks. But if you've got somebody who expects that countertop to look brand new like it did the day it was installed, um, then they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to be very, very careful. Um, you know, if you're going from a plastic laminate countertop and you're not used to cutting on a countertop, going to a marble, you're probably not going to cut on that either. Uh, right. So you're not going to scratch it with a knife. Um, but it's very likely that at some point someone will spill something on it that will etch it. Um, and you know, being from a restoration background, that this is something that can be reversed, but is it something that the homeowner is going to be willing to pay the money and, and go through the process of having it. Uh, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't say reverse can be, you know, it can be uh, made to look new again, repaired. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And that, that's, you know, and I actually just ran into that problem where someone was sold a quartzite and the fabricator told them, no, quartzite's not going to etch, no problem. And it's etching all over the place. And we went in and found out that it's really not quartzite. It was really a marble per se. So, um, what do they call that one that's being sold a lot as quartzite out there? Super white, I think they call it. Well, one of the names it goes by is, is super white. I'm sure you're familiar with that as well. Yeah, yeah. I am. You know? yeah. So, yeah. so to, to wrap things up, Keith, you know, what would you, you know, as a fabricator and as a consumer, what, what type of, you know, what would be your closing remarks as far as, you know, what can you, what can you control as a purchaser? Well, in, in my opinion, um, try to get a sample of the material, not necessarily the homeowner, the fabricator. The fabricator should go through and see how hard the material is before they start cutting it. Um, they should try and see if they can etch it. Um, you know, the, the big thing that the fabricator cannot necessarily control um, would be like whipping over, um, over time. You know, let's say they're doing an outdoor kitchen and they've got a resin that's going to, you know, um, that's going to amber up or when exposed to a lot of uh, sunlight or something that's going to shrink and kind of flake out when it's exposed to a lot of, you know, freeze thaw or, or moisture. Um, you know, the things that you can um, find out is, is it going to scratch? Is it going to etch? Um, you know, oxidation and how well the resin's going to perform is something that may take a little time. Uh, most fabricators would probably throw that back at the distributor and say, okay, can we find out if this is suitable for an exterior application? And normally the, dis uh, the distributor will contact the factory and possibly the factory would contact the quarry. Just to, Well, the factory might contact the quarry to find out if there's a lot of iron content in it and if it's going to oxidize. The factory would know what kind of resins they typically use in it to know how that's going to perform. And hopefully everybody's telling the truth. Yeah, like we know they all do, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's true. If they well, did, there like would the, be no problems, right? <laughs> that's right. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't be in business either. <laughs> 
So anyway, right. hey, well, Keith, I, I want to thank you for uh, for being on the show here. Some really great, useful information, and uh, I'll be talking to you again soon sometime and uh, probably see you at one of the shows uh, here in the near future, as I usually do. So thanks a lot, Keith. Okay. All right. Thank you. Good talking right, to you. Take care. All right. Same here. Bye-bye. Yeah, so folks, right, so, uh, you know, there there's some useful information you know whether you're you're a consumer or whether you're a fabricator and I'll I'll reiterate what what Keith says you know I think if you're a fabricator buying material um you know just get a really really good relationship with your distributor uh one of the things I meant to ask him or actually mentioned to him and I, I've had this happen is that uh you know I had a lot of fabricators come up to me through the years and they want to import their own stone and my uh, what what I usually tell them is it's it's unless you have the connections unless you know how to go through the import process I wouldn't try it um, I've had several fabricators call me who have been, who have basically been been taken I mean when you're dealing with countries outside the United States you know China India Brazil whatever and you don't have that relationship uh, you, you know what do you do it's difficult to sue them you know internationally uh, another thing you have to think of if you're a major distributor and you're bringing in you know, several containers or more than one container a month uh, as compared to, say, you as a fabricator, you might bring in, you know, one container every six months or once a year. Who do you think they're going to service? You know, who do you think they're going to be concerned with, the the one container type type customer or the customer that keeps ordering from them again and again and again? So those are the type of things you, you know, you have to think about. Now, there are agents out there. Uh, that can act as agents for you. Uh, I've worked on commercial projects where a lot of the big commercial projects, well, actually the architect and the and the, uh, the fabricator would actually go to the quarry, pick out the blocks themselves to be cut, and that's especially true in you know some of the higher end projects, projects that are using book match, vein match materials, etc. So. You know, I remember years and years ago, as I had mentioned uh, to Keith before, you know, we, we had very limited number of types of stones out there. You know, we maybe had 20 different varieties of granite and, you know, some marbles, et cetera. And nowadays, I mean, you go into some of these distributors, the the selection is just phenomenal. I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of materials. And, and primarily due to the resining process, which I believe I... I did an entire show uh, on the resonating process itself. All right, folks, I'm about ready to wrap things up here, but if you want to get one last call in, it is 323-870-3968. I'd recommend you call now, 323-870-3968. After the show or if you're listening to the show in the archives, you can always send me a question via email, which is fhuston, F-H-U-E-S, T-O-N at gmail.com as well as Messenger on my Stone Forensics uh, Facebook pages as well. So folks, I don't see anybody calling in so I'm assuming everybody's going to be listening to this on the archives. Uh, I will see everybody uh, next week. I may be out of town next week so we may may skip next week's show and, and the week after that. So until next week or next time we're on the air, I uh, hope everyone has a great one and uh, we'll talk to you later.